Well, howdy there, Internet people. It's Bo again. So today, we're going to talk about Sherman. A guy named Sherman. You've probably seen the memes. Don't make me come down there again type of stuff. So we're just going to kind of go over the story. Because I overheard a conversation, and then me being me, I started talking to people and asking them what they knew. And the general consensus of Sherman's march is uh, less than accurate. What people think happened isn't really what went down. And I don't know if there are huge material differences, but it might be worth examining at this point. Most people seem to believe that General Sherman was sitting up north, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to go down south, and I'm just going to break the back of the Confederacy, and I'm going to burn everything. And he went to Atlanta and torched it, and then he went to Savannah and torched it, torched everything along the way. And the reality is pretty much none of that is what actually went down. So, what went? What 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 did go down? What happened? Um, September second, Atlanta fell. Okay, and Sherman's there. This isn't even part of the march to the sea. This is part of the Atlanta campaign. And he is standing in Atlanta. He's got about one hundred twenty thousand troops, and he knows he can't really hold it, not for any length of time. But he's also not giving it back, so he doesn't know what to do. He wants to wait it out, but he has two problems. One is named Hood, and the other is a fellow named Nathan Bedford Forrest. Yeah, that one. And they're nipping at his supply lines. And if they break them, he's done. So in October, he comes up with a plan. And he tells his troops to start gathering supplies. They don't really know why yet. But they start gathering stuff up. And uh, he decides to uh, send half of his troops north. 60,000 of them. They go up to Nashville. The other 60,000, well... They're going to go on a 285-mile journey on foot to uh, Savannah, and they're going to take it. But he still has the problem of what to do with Atlanta. So he has battering rams constructed to uh, destroy the industrial section. And then he does, in fact, torch the business districts destroys about 40 to 50% of the city. But this isn't part of the march to the sea. This is right before it. Atlanta was already taken when he had conceived of his little idea. So, his 62,000 men, on November 15th, they leave Atlanta. And it is a smoldering ruin behind them. But keep in mind, they didn't really go after the residential areas. It wasn't the plan. That idea, that image that gets thrown out there, not accurate. And Atlanta wasn't even part of it. That was just before it. So, 
they start marching and they have battles along the way. There's uh, Balls Ferry, Honey Hill, Waynesboro, Fort Mitchell, McAllister, Fort McAllister. And uh, a really important one called Griswoldville, which we'll come back to. His overall strategy at this point is to get food and livestock along the way. Supply his army from the land around him. This way he doesn't have to worry about a supply line. They didn't intend, necessarily, on torching everything they came in contact with. In fact... If you didn't put up a fight, they probably weren't going to. If you did fight back, you were losing your house and your barn. He said that he thought that rich and poor, young and old, needed to feel the hard hand of war. Um, He wanted to degrade morale in the South. And it, it definitely worked. But a lot of uh, what happened, at least some of it, it wasn't even him. At Griswoldville, he ran into some Confederate troops and beat them. And the CAV units, well, they rode off. They were like, no, not dealing with this. We need to get away from this guy. And they went in the route he was headed, ahead of him. And as they traveled, they realized they were passing barns with food and livestock and supplies. And they torched them so he couldn't get them. A lot of what was done, particularly in this area, wasn't even him. It was Confederate troops doing it to the Confederacy. Um, But as time went on, And even in the immediate aftermath, I mean, that's not a good story. You can't paint Sherman as this evil person if if your own troops were doing it, right? So you had to deny that happened, pin what they did on your opposition. And that's what they did. And it worked for the most part. Um, So they uh, move along, and along the way, they free slaves. That's true. That part of the story is accurate. But there's some stuff that's left out there. Slaves had uh, mixed opinions when he arrived. So they didn't know what to do. His men were wild at this point. They didn't know if they should run away from him or run towards him. Some ran towards him, and they followed his march. There were uh, thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands, of newly liberated former slaves following him. And hundreds were lost to hunger, exposure, disease. At a place called Ebenezer Creek, hundreds were lost to the creek. He wasn't quite uh, the caring, liberating man that he had painted out to be. Then there's also the issue of uh, Special Field Order Number 15, which he gave after he took Savannah. 
When he got to Savannah, by the way, he didn't torch it. He showed up and he was like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm ready to give you pretty good terms to surrender. Be very liberal, very fair with all of this. Or, I mean, you can still see the smoke from Atlanta. Your choice. And if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> he took the city without a shot. But he still had all of these refugees following him. So he needed a place to put them. And that is where Special Field Order 15 comes in. And he basically gave them all land. Said they could have land. They could settle. There's no mention of a mule in this, in his order. But the idea of 40 acres and a mule, it comes from there. It never materialized. Now, that's not really his fault, to be honest. Uh, Johnson, kind of, President Johnson, kind of overrode all that. Um, at the end of this, you read the story, and you look at him and what he did. And one of the interesting things about it is he probably wouldn't like those memes because he didn't really enjoy what he was doing. He just felt it needed to be done. Now, as far as debating whether or not what he did was right, you're, you're in the best of company. Among historians, they argue over whether to classify this as total war or just really, really hard war. Um, total war is pretty indiscriminate. It's where the forces view the civilians, industry in general, as all supporting the war effort. So, they're all legitimate targets. Generally speaking, we don't condone total war. In this case, given the moral implications of the war, I think people might be excused for uh, condoning it, but it's a debate that occurs. At the end of this, there's a couple of key points. One is that the stories that we have of historical figures, they're uh, normally not accurate because almost immediately, just like after uh, Griswoldville, almost immediately spin comes into it. And it obscures the facts. That's why if you're going to get to the bottom of something, you need to do it quickly. You can't wait for the political machinery to create other narratives. The longer you wait, the more obscure it becomes. The harder it is to get to the truth. Um, so there's that element to it. And then the other element is, you have a lot of people today who seem enamored with the idea of civil conflict. The one thing that is true about every civil conflict is that at the end of it, it's normally the civilians that pay the heaviest price, those who aren't involved. If you are really somebody who 
views yourself as a patriot, as somebody who loves the country, would you really want that? The other reason I'm bringing this up today is because uh, it happened today. Well, depending on the depending on the historian, it ended December 21st or December 22nd, 1864. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day.